I always ask people, should we feel like we actually need those daily? Like, do you think that you're like truly at your optimal health if you need an energy drink daily? Like that's, that's the question I really like to ask people. And they're like, right question. Oh. It's, it's a mic like, drop question. <laughs> yes. They're like, I didn't even think about that. And some of them just like the flavor. I'm like, if you like the flavor, we can find other things to like kind of fill that for you. But like, you shouldn't be needing it that badly. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. You're tuning in to episode 227 of the Well Woman Podcast. I have been waiting to talk about this topic today for a long time, and that is caffeine. Today on the show, I am joined by Dr. B, and we are talking all about how caffeine affects your menstrual cycle, not just the cycle itself, but also your hormones, your metabolism, glucose levels, cortisol, all the things. We are talking about caffeine. And Dr. B, she is the owner of Walk the Natural Path Women's Health and Fertility Care, and she follows this because it is her passion for helping women achieve wellness and fertility goals. As an ND, she is licensed to treat and teach patients from a mindset of natural healing that treats the root cause of symptoms. Now, given that she is a women's health nerd like myself around all things fertility, preconception care, and so much more. I knew I had to invite her on as she's a naturopathic doctor and we wanted to talk about caffeine. I think this is a really important topic as I find so many clients find it really hard to understand the importance of how caffeine can impact our cycle and our hormones. So in this episode, we are talking all about how it actually affects the body, the hormones and the cycle. We talk about when is the best time to actually consume caffeine? Is there a good type of caffeine to consume? We're not just talking about coffee itself. We're talking about all different types of caffeine. Not to mention we talk about it with type 1 diabetes, the type of breakfast you might want to consume before having caffeine, along with some really great tips if you plan on lowering your caffeine and what you can do to support yourself. Dr. B has lots of insights and I thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with her. We go on some really juicy tangents I think you are going to enjoy. So while you're listening to this episode, be sure to go and check out Dr. B online at Walk the Natural Path on Instagram or her website so you can see who we're chatting to and who you're listening to in this episode. Dr. B, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat today. It is a pleasure. I'm also really excited to chat. I'm really looking forward to this topic because before we hit record, I was telling you we haven't recorded a sole conversation about this on the show and I think it's so needed. So thank you so much for being here. Now, a question we actually ask all of our guests and I didn't give you a heads up just before we hit record. So hopefully you're good with this. But <laughs> what day of your cycle are you on today? And how are you checking in? How are you feeling in this moment? Oh, I love that question. Day one. So Ooh. look at that. I feel like that's actually kind of funny. My day one, I usually feel a little more tired, but surprisingly, I'm actually feeling really good today. I didn't know it was day one coming. So I always feel like that's that's good. That's mm-hmm. good news, right? <laughs> No, I love that. And also it's your outer summer right now. So you're probably feeling a few outer summer vibes in alignment with this inner winter feel that you've got going on too. Oh yeah. I love that. That's that's a great way of putting it. (laughs) That's such a fun question. I've never heard anyone ask that. I like it. You are welcome. I I ask everybody that. So (laughs) for me, it feels really normal, but I'm glad you like it. It's a great question. What day are you on? (laughs) Me? I'm on day, is it 22 today? I'm in that post-ovulatory inner autumn phase where you're like, every day feels very much the same right now as I start to yeah. descend closer and closer. So I'm due to menstruate next week. So we'll see how we, how we go with that. But I love every phase of my cycle and they all have like different personalities. It's like the different phases of the seasonal year. So I love that. But thank you for asking me. That's also very nice. Yeah. Of course, it's it's fun to like like you said. It's almost like you understand a little bit more about that person in that moment. 
and where they're coming from. And you get a bit of an understanding. I, I, the reason why I ask guests that question is it helps the listeners go, wow, she was really on top of everything today. And it's like, well, she's also pretty close to ovulating. So that makes perfect sense. Whereas if people are like, oh, itchy and, you know, a bit bitchy on the podcast, you know, which is totally fine. And I, it brings out a lot of really good heat in topics and conversations, but knowing that that person's in their inner autumn and there's a lot that they want to say, like, that's really great too. So it's good to recognize that we all have slightly different personalities at different times of our cycle. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how you teach honestly about this, but I'm always like, everyone has their own little version of each phase, right? Definitely. Um, I kind of talk about, I'm actually one of those practitioners who's not like a giant fan of working out with your cycle, like cycle syncing. I'm more like think with yourself type person. And so I'm more, yeah, I'm like into like, just listen to your intuition. Cause like, for me, I actually feel like pretty motivated, like on the third day of my cycle, like I'm like ready to go. Like hit is probably the best time on my third day of cycle and ovulation. I actually, my ovulation day is like my most chill day. And so like, everyone's just so different. I feel like, and I think it's really important to honor that. I love that. And that's why I'm very much with you. I think it's important that we allow a rest time in our cycle, but also you can choose when that rest time is based on your lifestyle and what season of the year you're in as well. Um, because, you know, Love if it. you're in a winter, like menstruating and it's out of winter, like it's sometimes a double whammy for people. They're like, okay, I really <laughs> don't want to get out of bed today. Whereas when it comes to people, I always ask, oh, how are you feeling right now? And then what day of your cycle are you on? For the same purpose of check in with yourself first and then ask yourself, am I in alignment with where I am in my cycle and how can I best support that today? So I love that about what you you teach. So thank you for sharing. There's going to be a lot of people, Dr. B, who have never met you before. They're like, oh, who's this new chick on the show? So I want to get you to share with our listeners, like, who are you? How did you get into this amazing space of women's health and fertility care? And why are you a really great advocate for women's health? And how did you get there? Like, what was your journey? Yeah, I I love this question. I always try to keep it short, but sweet, but then I actually still answer the question. So I'll do my best. Long story short, I actually got into natural medicine because I was actually a pretty sick kid, like a lot of medications, you know, oxygen treatments. There's a lot going on. And natural medicine, I say saved my life. So that kind of just gets you into like the headspace I've been in even since I was a kid, right? Like being healthy was a thing in my family. And when I say being healthy, it means like, you know, making choices when it comes to food, you know, do we want this kind of cake or this kind of cake? And they're two kind of cakes, but one's made with a lot of like dyes and additives and the other ones, like all just ingredients from your house, like things like that. So I was raised that way. Then I decided I wanted to go to naturopathic medical school, went, I actually wanted to go for pediatrics. I loved pediatrics. I was like, I was a sick kid. I want to help all the sick kids. Loved it. Did a lot of training and a lot of shadowing. Saw a lot of kiddos, but something kept pushing me. Like my inner intuition was just kind of like, you like this, but it's not like your main calling. And I was like, okay. And I kind of took a lot of extra women's health courses on the side. And then at the same time, kind of ended up having my own health journey in women's health, leading me to obviously dive in, like dive in deep, like just to even heal myself and figure out how to come off birth control naturally and that whole bit. And then I fell into fertility space and just naturally just felt like it was kind of where I belonged. And finding out later that my mother and my grandmother like had a hard time with their fertility journey. And so I just, it just like fueled all this passion for women's health because of my own journey and then the fertility side because of my family's history. And like I said, it's kind I'm trying to make this long story short, but I just think I just listened to my intuition, fell in love with the medicine and just love to treat. And to be honest, I feel like I actually have a skill in it. You know, instead of being a jack of all trades, I wanted to be really good at something. And it was something that was almost really natural to me. So that's Mm. why I'm here. And I love helping people balance their hormones. (laughs) That's really beautiful. I love that, Dr. B, especially at the end there where you mentioned that you don't necessarily just want to be a jack of all trades, which a lot of people can be, and they can see all different types of patients and, and treat different types of methods. 
but to have a skill set and to really hone deep into that, it's really powerful. And I'm sure that you get a lot of fulfillment out of just working with that specific group of people, as opposed to like serving the many in all different forms, which I love. And that kind of leads, we are going to be talking about caffeine today. And I think it's such a hot topic all over the world, but I'd love to ask you before we dive in, what do Mm. you see in, and when I say fertility, I'm just going to summarize that for everybody, for those who are not planning to conceive, those who might want to be, you know, have children in 10 years, those who are on a conception journey, fertility in the sense of having a healthy fertile cycle. What do you see as the biggest stress factors or the things that contribute to an imbalance or thrown off healthy cycle or thrown off fertility? Like the biggest thing? Or like the the top three to five things that you see are continual factors that contribute to imbalanced cycles or imbalanced fertility. Okay. Yeah. Well, honestly, the first one I really think is stress, but Mm. stress in like, there is so many subcategories of that, you know, bringing it back into caffeine, for example, caffeine, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit that help. I mean, it increases cortisol levels. That's kind of, that's a piece of stress, right? That, that would, I would put under the umbrella of stress. So more cortisol that impacts your hormones in a specific way, which like I said, we'll talk about a little bit more in a second, but that's, that's a really big one. Also, you know, people's jobs, things that just happen in day-to-day life, you know, you get a little rear-ended and then like, you know, things just keep going rear-ended me. And like, I, I just, my car got hit. That's why I'm thinking of that. I'm like, that was an <laughs> acute stressor for me. And I was like, oh, great. Like, it's okay. Like it just, it happens, but day-to-day life stressors and learning to manage, manage those is going to be really important. So stress is one of them, acute and chronic. And by doing little things that we don't even know, like having caffeine before breakfast. And then another one, obviously, I mean, big ones are like PCOS. I know a lot of people talk about those, but you know, what is the root cause of PCOS? There's a lot of different root causes of PCOS. Could it be due to adrenal function, which again, leads back to stress. Is it due to metabolic function, which can be also due to stress, or it can be, you know, or PCOS plus metabolic function, those kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Is it the chicken or the egg? Like which one came first? I know a lot of people say or argue, like, is this true or is this false? But you know, birth control induced PCOS. And I mean, there's so many different factors that can play into it. And like I said, it's always like, is it the chicken or is it the egg? Like which one really truly came first? Obviously, I don't know. I wasn't there when they first developed PCOS. <laughs> I would say, honestly, under eating, I know mm. that one might might be, yeah, that one might be a surprise for people, but I get a lot of women in particular who under eat a lot and they're not giving their body the proper fuel. And so, you know, they're just, their body's like taking in all the nutrients just to survive, not have a healthy hormone cycle. And that's something mm. that I really like to emphasize to patients not sleeping enough, lack of sleep. Like, I know these almost sound funny and like, wow, I didn't even think about that or sleep like that can throw off my hormone cycle and it can totally throw off your hormone cycle. Right. And I, most people don't get a good night's sleep. Like it's almost 90% of the time I ask people, how do you wake up feeling rested? And they say no, like 90% of the time. And that like blows my mind, but it's like such a big thing. I'm like, okay, well we can do all these other things, but like sleep needs to be fixed first. Like it all starts with the brain at the end of the day, all our hormonal processes start there. So if that's not going good, the rest of the stuff's definitely not going to be. And like I said, it's so hard. So every week I swear it ebbs and flows of like, what are the main causes of things that are relating to cycle health and fertility? Uh, I would actually say this week though, a big one was stress. Like already I've seen a lot of cases that I'm like, okay, this is going to be stress. This is going to be a stress week. (laughs) I love that. And thank you for like putting all of that into perspective too, because a lot of people do think hormones, particularly with the cycle and fertility, are so isolated to like the womb region. And you're like, actually, it's a whole body. Like your reproductive system stems like the entire length of your body, apart from to your toes. And it's really important to recognize that so much comes into play. I love that you mentioned under eating. I think diet culture has and is always shifting you know, so much. And I know you're from North America in the States, I'm in Australia and it's impacts so many people in different countries. It's not just an American thing or an Australian thing and sleep, like seriously, 
people are like, so you're telling me I just need to go to bed earlier? Like that shit's free. Like I could have, I could have just worked that out on my own, but the importance of it, people don't know how to work out and they don't know how to like put that into perspective. So I love that you highlighted those. So stress, under eating and sleep. So let's talk about cortisol and caffeine because you mentioned stress leading to cortisol. Sorry about you getting rear-ended in your car. And then (laughs) it's true, right? That stuff just really throws off your day or anything like you having like a full bag of stuff walking to the car and you drop and then you break a glass of something and it goes everywhere glass of olives I don't know all those little things really add up especially if you have normally a stressful life with work or whatever you might perceive as stress so let's talk about cortisol and caffeine so how does cortisol occur because of caffeine because most people just think of, oh, caffeine, you know, it's just like a drink, like having a chocolate milk or, you know, having a tea, it's just another drink you have. But there's so much more that actually occurs after you've popped the, you know, not popped, after you drunk a nice glass or a a cup or a a sip of caffeine. So what actually happens once you've had that coffee? Yeah, I, I love that. And so when I'm really talking about the cortisol piece, I really want to emphasize it about it being I mean, it can, it can elevate your cortisol, like anytime you're drinking it, but the time it really impacts and kind of like throws your body for a loop is going to be in the morning. If you, that's the first thing you do. So a lot of times, you know, we talk about the diurnal rhythm, right? So melatonin, when you go to bed, cortisol helps wake you up. That's literally what helps get you up in the morning is a cortisol spike. That cortisol spike is necessary to wake you up, get you going for your day. But if the first thing you do is drink a stimulant, which is the caffeine, right? Or coffee or whatever you're doing, that's going to just spike your cortisol even more. And then if you do it every single day, your body's going to start to rely on that stimulant rather than spike that have that cortisol spike by itself. Mm. So not only are at first you're like your cortisol spiked and then you're like adding even more on top of it, then your body, you're going to wake up and you're probably going to feel more tired. And the reason why people get like addicted, like kind of caffeine is because now their body's like, wait, you were giving me stimulation before I don't create as much cortisol by myself. I'm not really having the same spike as I would have before. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. It kind of makes me think Dr. B, it's a little bit like having, maybe this is an Aussie saying, so if it is, please let me know. But it's like having kids who have been eating red lollies or red frogs, we would say here, and then giving them more red frogs. Like, excuse my language. What the fuck do you expect to happen? Like they've already been to one party for the day and then you take them to another party and there's just like more cake and more lollies and all the things or sweets. I know you guys use sweets a lot in, in North America, but like, what do you expect to happen? by putting the fire on the fire, like the fire is just going to get bigger. And so I love that analogy of like, well, having the cortisol already, and then you're putting something in your body that produces right. more cortisol. Like what do you think is going to happen? Exactly. And so that's definitely a big part of it. And then just kind of, we can relate it back to the cycle. So then cortisol is increased even more. There are a lot of negative feedback loops and, you know, chaotic. So I'm just going to try to keep this as simple as possible, but cortisol increases. And then that's going to lead to like a negative feedback, meaning like, okay, we have enough of this. We don't need as much. And then it tells other parts of the brain and other parts that actually produce other hormones, like gonadotropin releasing hormone in your brain, gonadotropin releasing hormone, for those who don't know what that is, tells the other parts, other reproductive organs to secrete FSH and LH. And then if gonadotropin releasing hormones decreased, then FSH decreases. If FSH and LH decrease, ovulation can occur. And if ovulation can occur, no progesterone. So hopefully that was easy to follow. Like I said, I'm all about like graphs and pictures. So sometimes when, you know, you're just hearing it can be kind of confusing, but essentially if cortisol is high, it signals to the brain that like, we don't need any more of certain hormones. And it also goes into our reproductive hormones because Essentially, if your if your body's stressed out or has high cortisol, your body does not. Number one thing is to not have a cycle. It, you, it doesn't want you to almost reproduce right now because you're not in that state, right? Like you need to protect yourself right now. You're not in a state to carry life, and that's what the cycle's for, right? Like I know this isn't mm. just a fertility podcast, but that's what the cycle was created for. So 
that's how it all kind of relates. And I think people, and I say people because, you know, I'm talking about all menstruators, but all those who support menstruators, all those who are in heterosexual couples and you, you're a male and you're with a female and she menstruates, is that we forget so easily that we are born with the sole purpose to reproduce and procreate. And that is like the number one purpose of our bodies. And when our body feels unsafe to do so, whether you're being chased by a fucking tiger, whether you've been <laughs> rammed at the back in your car, or whether you're like dousing, you know, uh, who knows, lots of grande coffees or something. <laughs> if your body doesn't feel like it can support itself in growing an organ and then growing a baby, it's going to be like, sorry, I can't, I can't deal with that right now. That's the least of my problems. Let's focus on the digestive system. Let's focus on detoxification. And it kind of, the procreation gets put to the back burner, but that's the thing that is like the vital sign of health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you see that a lot, I can imagine. Yes. And it's so prominent today. Like, I mean, people will be like, I skipped my cycle this month. And I'll ask like, okay, like what was going on in your life? And then they send this list, they send me this list. And I'm like, well, I know why you skipped your cycle. (laughs) If it happens again, and things feel slow down and you feel better, then let me know and we'll continue to evaluate. But like, just like honor and nourish yourself right now, because like your world was kind of on fire for a second. (laughs) So I actually wouldn't be surprised if you skip it once. Yeah. Yep. And that fight or flight is there to protect you. Like that's the whole purpose of it being there, which is so, so evident. And I think, you know, it's not just the females that experience that males, you know, all genders experience that, but um, I love that you highlighted that. So thank you for sharing. If you're in fight or flight and your world's on fire, like your, your cycle is just not the main, main thing at the moment. Right. And so they might miss one, they might miss two cycles and that's okay. It's just important to like recognize that and nourish yourself. And I think a huge part is like, I just like that. I said, recognize that. So when I talk about recognizing that, I think that's everything you teach, right? Knowing your body and your, your cycle. And so you'll be able to like, understand what happened, what happens in that moment. And when you, why you missed your cycle. And I think that's huge. Mm. And I think the more people can tap into the fact that What's going? I call it the outer world and the inner world. And I use this analogy, Dr. B, about the hula hoop. And I was like, everything that's in the hula hoop, whilst like imagine yourself wearing a hula hoop, everything that's in the hula hoop, you have control over. And the analogy I always give is like, people don't throw burgers in your mouth. Like, you know, when you go to the Super Bowl or the football or like a stadium with music and they have put the t-shirts in the guns and they like, you know, kapow them into this, into the crowd. People don't have burgers in guns, shooting them in your mouth. Like you place it there. So anything that's in the hula hoop, you have ultimate control over. But then the thing is people have to also work with their mind on the control. You know, sometimes their mind is not in balance with what they truly desire. And then everything outside of the hula hoop, you can't control. So you can't control the person ramming up the back of your car. You can't control your boss yelling at you. You know, Maybe you can influence that, but you can't ultimately control it. You can't control the fact you've been flying for 10 hours. You get to your next destination and your flight is delayed for five hours. And so you've got a bigger layover, like all these things you can't control, but they change your state of your body. And so the more you can recognize that your outer world is impacting your inner world, which is all the things I know you would you know, harp on about too is the more we can go, okay, something really big happened today. What can I do to support myself? And when we, if we bring that back to caffeine, I think that caffeine is one of those things that people have such a ritual with, or it's such like, of a, it's habitual in the sense that like, this is the thing that saves me. This is my two minutes of getting away from my kids, or this is my break in my work day. And it's really hard for them to change that. So can you educate a little bit more about why caffeine can change our cycle, how it affects. I know you mentioned the cascade of events, like the ripple effect of the hormones. When is there a good time to drink coffee or when is there a bad time to drink coffee? Where is caffeine? It's not just in coffee. So can you share a little bit about that with us too? I love how you pointed that out. Yes. I was thinking about that, honestly, before we even hopped on, I was like, you talked about caffeine being the episode and I kept saying coffee or kept thinking about coffee. And I'm like, well, Coffee is actually like, it is probably the most common culprit, like mm. of what, how many, much people drink, but there's a lot of people who drink energy drinks, use pre-workout, like 
all of, there's a lot of other ways to get caffeine in, right? Oh, I, I don't and drink coffee. I, I drink tea. Tea's tea's tea. That's not coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tea also has it in there. And I think that's a good thing to bring up is like, there's a good time to drink it. There's also a good amount to drink. And then there's also better types of caffeine for you, which are things we can touch on all of the above. Awesome. Um, when we're talking about in the morning or and like when people, the most ideal thing, people wake up and they're like, I need my cup of coffee. I really try to encourage people to eat before they have their cup of coffee or at least eat with their cup of coffee. I'd prefer it, you know, to eat and then have the cup, but you know, there's only so much people can do and I totally understand. So the reason why we want to eat though is one, it actually, if you, if you do eat before you have the coffee, it actually reduces the risk of having an added cortisol spike. It reduces that risk. It actually is better for your glycemic load or your glycemic index, basically your blood sugar. So if you have coffee on an empty stomach, it actually disrupts your glucose metabolism. And if you do this over a long period of time, that can cause a lot of issues with metabolic health and it can even, you know, contribute to weight gain. So feel like that's, that's one that helps people eat coffee after, after, or drink coffee, excuse me, after breakfast. And then also if you're drinking coffee or honestly, any caffeine on an empty stomach, usually those drinks are very acidic and that can mess with your stomach lining because it kind of, it's acidic and then your stomach's already acidic. And then on top of it, it's signaling your stomach to create more acid, more stomach acid which can actually lead to gastrointestinal problems later on as well. Some, mm. For example, like a stomach ulcer. So those are just like three big things that have been linked. And to summarize those, it's like glucose and metabolism, basically your cortisol response and increasing stomach acid, which can lead to stomach issues. So that all happens if you drink coffee before you eat, basically, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. And it's like, wow, like, I keep saying eat coffee, drink coffee. Jeez Louise. <laughs> it's the same thing. Some people like to eat their caffeine, which is okay too. Something I thought of whilst you mentioned glucose is type 1 diabetes. Is this even more important to consume caffeine after food for those who are type 1 diabetic? Yeah, I would say yes, especially mm. because it can mess with your your glycemic index or your, the way your glucose is processed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, interesting. And you know, there's even been studies that can link type two diabetes to drink. Not, I mean, it's not the only reason, but you know what I mean? It can be one of the contributing factors to overconsumption diabetes. Overconsumption. Mm -hmm. And it also makes you think Dr. B about all those people who are all really heavily but it doesn't have to be heavy, but are really into intimate, intimate fasting in the sense that they don't eat until 11 or 12. And often the first thing they have, even though it's not first thing when they wake up, it's but not before 9am, it's more like at 11am, they have a coffee and then they eat afterwards. Is that the same thing? Oh, I, I totally believe so. hundred percent. I think it also depends on what, what kind of coffee you're having too, right? So if you're getting which there's other issues with this, but if you're having coffee with like whole milk, which is there's a fat in it, that can definitely help with some of the issues that we're talking about right now, right? Like, you know, the stomach lining, it's not going to be so harsh on the stomach and you're not going to have, you're not going to be as much at much of a risk for stomach ulcers than if you were to just have straight black coffee on, you know, on your stomach lining. So there, there are different little things that we can say like are, that might be helpful. I know a lot of people like to put collagen in coffee. I got to say, it's still not as good as eating breakfast before having your coffee, but I guess you're trying to mess with that a little bit. I mean, not my biggest recommendation, but better than straight black coffee, I guess, right? Like if there's a, there's, a, if there's a rating system or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a rating system. Go for it. Yeah. But, and like you said, I mean, we're not even talking about just calf or just coffee, but like, I mean, pre-workout, I know a lot of people wake up and have a pre-workout and go work out. Mm, true. Please don't do that. <laughs> that is true. frying your adrenal glands just like in that moment. <laughs> mm, yeah. Wow. Actually, I'm not someone that uses pre-workout, so I haven't really thought about that, but yeah, there's a lot of people that would do that. I don't 
think America would be very different to Australia in this, but there is a huge, I want to say an epidemic, but maybe that's too big a word, but of young teenagers and young adults using energy drinks in like copious amounts. And we're talking like the big cans and maybe the bigger cans are more, I feel like everything in America is really big compared to things in Australia. Like you go out for dinner and it's like that meal is like, that's the size of a main meal and it's an entree. Like just everything's quite big in America compared to here. And maybe your cans are just bigger there, but we do have big cans of energy drink and teenagers will drink three of them a day, four of them a day. And I'm like, that is insane. It's so much. And it just goes to show that it's not just the coffee. It's it's so many things. It's also in confectionery too. Yes. Yeah, you're so right. And you're one, I mean, on many levels of things that you said, one, everything <laughs> is very big in America for sure. And then yes, the caffeine drinks. And then there's like, now there's caffeinated energy drinks or energy drinks that are supposed to be like healthier versions, you know, like the Alani news and the Celsius and like all these like ones that are like, Oh, it's like just L-theanine, but it's high levels of L-theanine. And like, should we, one, I always ask people, should we feel like we actually need those daily? Like, do you think that you're like truly at your optimal health if you need an energy drink daily? Like that's, that's the question I really like to ask people. And they're Great like, right question. Oh. It's, it's a mic like, drop question. <laughs> yes. They're like, I didn't even think about that. And some of them just like the flavor. I'm, I'm like, if you like the flavor, we can find other things to like kind of fill that for you. But like you shouldn't be needing it that badly. Mm. A lot of times I want people to, I want, I want to hear my patients say by the end of it, like having a cup of coffee is nice and I have comfort in it or having a cup of green tea or whatever it is, but they don't, they should never feel like they need it. I get it. You know, some days you don't sleep very well, or like you were stressed about a big presentation or honestly, someone's hungover and they need to be performed the next day or whatever it is. <laughs> And they need, they need the coffee that day. That's okay. There are outliers. There's always going to be an outlier day, right? There's always going to be an exception. But on a day-to-day, you should never wake up and feel like you need coffee to function throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Period. End of sentence. I will say, I tell people, if you feel like you need it, then we need to, we need to work on something. <laughs> dun, dun, mic drop. It, it just goes, it kind of comes back to the, it's a sometimes thing. You know, like I always talk, Dr. B, about how Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, Easter, weddings, 4th of July, like these are sometimes days. You know, we don't have Christmas every day. Like imagine how much food people normally eat at Christmas or Thanksgiving and then they do that every day. They're sometimes days. And so I think if we can approach our habits that are not as enriching in our health with a sometimes attitude and we have a daily health attitude that is really proactive for our health, especially for procreation for for menstruators and womb owners, regardless of whether you want to have children or not, like having a healthy fertile cycle is an optimal health sign for you is that just think about what you do every day versus what you do sometimes. So I know you talked about better kinds of coffee. So you mentioned about like having straight black coffee, maybe being a bit harsh on the acidity of the stomach lining. When you think of good quality coffee, let's just hone in on coffee now. What do you consider to be a good quality coffee? Yeah. So, I mean, there are actually quite a few brands out there nowadays that are great. So I tell, I just encourage people to just really look into the different ones because everyone has their own type of coffee, own kind of roast that they like, but Ultimately, I do recommend organic and I do recommend seeing if their brand has been tested for like mold or anything like that, because I'm sure as you've heard and many people who probably listen to this podcast, coffee has been shown and like they test it and there's like actually like mold in the beans and things like that. And that's terrifying, but it happens. So just make sure you find just a really good quality product. I don't know in Australia if you have this or if it's the same app, but the Environmental Working Group app I really love and they have a lot of good recommendations of good brands and they kind of teach you what to look for when trying to evaluate like a really good healthy brand for you versus like maybe a not so good one or like a greenwashed one you know one that looks like it's gonna be really good versus it's actually not (laughs) yeah there's a lot like people brands can use the word natural and not really be natural and 
There's a lot. I came, I came from a food science manufacturing and formulation background. And so, yeah, what you can actually put in a product versus what you can put on a label are very different things. So it's all... It's, it's insane. And I, I love that you'd mentioned about mold. <laughs> I have a, a little confession and I think most people who listen to this podcast regularly know this, but I've never liked coffee. I used to be a barista. I used to fucking hate coffee. And so I'm not someone, this is probably why it's taken so long for us to have this conversation on this show is because I'm not really a coffee drinker. So it's on a forefront of my mind, but I do hear it a lot from people. And so when it comes to coffee beans and stuff, I'm like, I'm not the go-to girl to give you education about coffee beans in Australia. That is not my forte. But I love the point. I love the point on mold. Is there a particular milk that's better to have it with? I know you mentioned having like full fat milk as opposed to what maybe just having like a soy milk or something. In Australia at the moment, the top rated milks are really like coconut, almond, and oat. Like the really, they're becoming like the top rated milks for coffee. So is there a particular good blend that you would mix, like certain types of milk, sugar, no sugar? What do you recommend? Yeah, love that. So I feel like as a naturopath, a lot of the answers I give are like, it depends. So for example, I use the coffee, the black coffee example, like not being great on an empty stomach, but black coffee is fine if you have food in your stomach. Like if you have a lining there already, your stomach's going to be able to handle it fine. If you like black black coffee, go for it. I I used to drink black coffee, so it's great. If you get an organic half and half, I think that's fine. Uh, if you're making a latte with it, maybe not ideal. Maybe more of like a splash action. You know what I? You know what I mean? I think other milks. I think oat milk can be a little scary for some people. Oat milk has, tends to have a lot of additives. Like I'm not a huge fan. If you look at an oat milk, their only ingredient should be water and oats. If there's anything else, do not use it. So just, just kind of want to give that, like, like if it tastes really good and it's like really creamy, they're adding a million things. Like, I'm sorry. That's just, that's, that's what Oat it is. milk is not supposed to froth. Yeah. Like what? I'm like, no, it's like water. It's like cloudy water. If it's like actually oat milk. <laughs> so that that's my thing there. Honestly, I love when people make their own cashew milk. You can literally make it with like in a blender at home with like water and cashews and some like maple syrup and vanilla. Like, and it's delicious and amazing and everyone loves that. And that's a really good one. Um, and th- like, that's a good option if you don't, if you can't have dairy. Like I said, honestly, organic, like half and half, that's, it's fine, fine in my book, honestly. People, if dairy bothers you, obviously don't have it. But I think dairy should only, like, you should only really eliminate things that truly bother you. Or if you have like an ethical reason why or something, like it matters to you. But if it doesn't, I think it, this world is a little too complicated and there's something else that you have to work on to eliminate. So don't keep adding, don't keep taking away from yourself. So long story short, check the ingredients. If you can make cashew milk or like almond milk at home, that's great. Just make, just like make sure if you're buying it that they have clean ingredients. Mm. And then as for sweeteners, a lot of people love stevia and monk fruit nowadays. I'm not a huge like kind of like we talked about before, like that's going to be better than putting like a teaspoon of sugar every single day. But, you know, everything there, there's always new studies coming out. And I've heard some great things about stevia and some honestly not so great things. So it's kind of one of those things like we're almost waiting for emerging, emerging research on it. So I'm like, maybe have it every other day or just do honey. We know honey is like, okay. <laughs> honey can't fuck it up. Like honey has been around yes. <laughs> for like ever. Bees make the world happen. So I always write, like, especially when there was a big movement, you know, 10 years ago in Australia about the whole I quit sugar thing, people were so scared of honey. And I'm like, dude, seriously, honey is the thing. That's like one of the most antibacterial things on the planet. I'm like, it is completely natural. It's especially if you buy it from a local honey farmer or bee farmer, like it's the best. It's the bit. It literally is the bee's knees. Apart from it not it being the knees of bees, but it is bees knees. I love all of those little add-ons. Thank you. And for those who are in Australia listening to this, I just want to say that for me, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I really love making my own like super feast, which is like medicinal mushrooms and, you know, maybe a little bit of ceremonial gray cacao and cinnamon and cardamom. And, you know, I do, I love doing that. And I have hunted down all of the milks. I think I've looked at every single type of nut milk in Australia at any supermarket or any health food store. And there's only been one that I've really found apart from Nutty Bruce is really good in Australia, but there's another one that's like, it's a long life. And I chose long life because my partner and I spent three months camping around Australia last year. So we wanted long life. 
and it's called Pure Harvest and it's the unsweetened almond milk. And it is the only milk, Dr. B, that doesn't have things like multidextrin in it. It doesn't have all of these fake sugars. And people don't realize they're going to get this barista-style milk at the coffee shop. And even though it's one cup, it still has a lot of disruptive ingredients for gut health. This is so not coffee-related. This is milk DIY. But (laughs) I think it's really important. People just think, oh, milk's just milk, isn't it? Like you Mm -hmm. really need to look at the ingredients. And so for me, I'm not someone, there's only a couple of places I'll go out and get like a hot milked drink because I know they make their own almond milk. But apart from that, I'm like, I'd rather just make my own at home. I love it. I love it. No, yeah, today I had a sometimes day. I had like a, I never have Honestly, I've reduced or I love cut out my own caffeine intake, but I had a sometimes day because I had a matcha today and I saw this oat milk that I knew was going in it that I was like, just chill. Like, it's okay. Like, you're good about it every other day. So like, obviously there's moments. Sometimes. But I, I hear you on that. I was like, I know that one's not good. Like, and I'm like, it's okay. Just like be chill for five seconds. And that's also part of like, you don't want to overcorrect too much and stress yourself out about every little thing. Like mm. I was at a nice meetup for like birth workers and fertility workers in the space. And oh, it was beautiful. like, okay to do that in that moment. So yeah, a supportive but, environment uh, for your body means a supportive digestive environment. And I, yeah, really, really good. And I think just a key takeaway for people is like be inquisitive, look at what's actually in the ingredients of what it is that you're, that you're either consuming or you're purchasing, like, cause that's really important. Oh my God, I'm loving this conversation. So I, I think I do have a couple more questions. Everyone who's listening, who's like, so I'm one of those people who drinks coffee first thing in the morning and I've tried to shake it and I just haven't been able to shake it. All the people are like, I really need to like lower my caffeine intake because they consume two plus cups of coffee a day. A multifaceted question. Is there a good amount of coffee to drink a day? Like one cup, two cups, three cups, four cups. Like I think we're getting a bit too much there, but yeah, like in general, And then if someone is looking at lowering their caffeine intake, regardless of whether it's a coffee or a tea, like a black tea or an Earl Grey or any of those things, or even green tea or energy drinks, what would you recommend? So two questions. in one. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And you'll hear different recommendations from everyone as a fertility doc. Like I recommend like 200 milligrams and under, which tends to be around two cups of coffee, two and a half cups. So I tell people, I'm like, you don't even have to take it all the way. Like that, that's still a decent amount of coffee. I think two cups is great. And I like that you said, like in the beginning of the, the two-part question, you said something about like, what's good, like what's good about coffee, or I don't know exactly how you worded it, but I also do want to take a moment to point out that like coffee, for example, maybe this isn't totally tied to caffeine, but it does have also you know, medicinal properties. We actually learn about it in school as one of the medicines per se, and it can be good for heart health. It can be great for your liver and it's a wonderful antioxidant. So there the are colonics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People love that. You know, Anima- cough, all the like body scrubs, all the things. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I love it. So I do want to point out like there are good things, but you know, like every almost everything I think besides like vegetables (laughs) you know quantity is gonna matter at the end of the day quantity and quality always matter so you know getting a good coffee and then also not overdoing it so keeping it at that 200 milligrams I think some people will say they can do up to four I think that's getting into definitely a higher amount and they might just be really avid coffee drinkers themselves. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> but I like it under 200. And like I said, that's for optimal fertility, which I think optimal fertility honestly should be the same thing as optimal health. So there's that. Totally. <laughs> and totally. did, I, did I answer both parts? So the second part is for people who are looking at lowering their caffeine intake, do you have any tips or suggestions for them? Because there are some people, and I'm sure you've met them in your clinic, that are like, I've tried everything. I just cannot give up the coffee. I will give up chocolate. I will give up cake. I will give up eating meat, like whatever you want, but I just can't do it with the coffee. So for people who are looking at reducing caffeine, and it's actually something, you know, when I work with people who are planning on, you know, conception is that if you are a really big coffee drinker, it's a good time to work on it now, as opposed to when you're pregnant, trying to cut out the caffeine anyway. So 
starting early, it gives you a huge head start for pregnancy. But what would you recommend for those who are looking at lowering that intake from, let's say they are at the 400 mil mark? Yeah, I love it. So I think I would have to have a few questions answered first, right? Like one of them, what's addicting about it to you? Like what, what makes it hard for you to stop? So is it the ritual behind it? Is it the flavor of it? Is it the fact that you literally can't stay awake without it? Like what is it? And then addressing those main things, right? So if it's the ritual, I'm like, okay, have one or two cups, you know, in the morning, the beginning, and then replace it with like a green tea. That still has caffeine, but it's about half the amount. And L-theanine version of like the caffeine is going to be a lot different than the coffee caffeine, right? Like there are different types, like different types and our body processes them different. And green tea is actually something I would tell people have like five cups of it a day. Like it's amazing for so many reasons, but it's one of my faves. So I'll be like, okay, if it's the ritual, you know, have your couple and then replace it with the different hot beverage, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you can also make your own like elixir or whatever. I know out here it's called mud water. I've tried it. Some people would like it. Some people wouldn't, but. Mud water. That's an interesting yeah. term. <laughs> yeah. It's, people it's can have chai. Earthy. You can have like an uncaffeinated mm-hmm. chai. You can generally, you can make that from the health food store. If you buy like loose leaf chai, something that I love, sorry to hijack and I'll pass it back no, to I you, but warming almond milk on the stove, popping in a medjool date and some cinnamon and boiling that and then drinking the warm milk with the sugar from the date and the cinnamon and then eating the date at the end after it's been lightly boiled. Oh, really good. <laughs> Yum. That sounds delicious. Yeah. That makes me think of like the golden milk. So I don't know. You have, yeah. yeah. Like the turmeric. Yeah. So like all of that. Great. Like, I love it. Just find something that tastes good and like replaces that ritual for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will be like, well, I'll just go to decaffeinated. I'd rather have you do those other things that we talked about than decaffeinated. You know, the reason being is decaffeinated coffee is processed, like bottom line. It's just an extra processed thing. So I'd just rather have you not replace it with something that's like more processed again. So that's just a little side note. And then kind of going to another reason, right? So then if you're a, like, you can't get through the day without the caffeine, right? Like, that's kind of what I went back to like before in the beginning when I was like, well, there's an underlying issue that we need to work on. Like then I would be like, seriously, like go find a practitioner, work with them, find someone that like understands you and can hear you. But like, also you should not be needing that much caffeine to run, like run off of each day. Like, so please heal your gut, heal your adrenals, heal your hormones, whatever it needs to be. Let's work on that so you don't crave it and need it all the time. And then what was the third thing I said? (laughs) I think it was going to be around the time of the day. Like I know we talked about not drinking caffeine first thing in 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 the day, but if someone is somebody who drinks caffeine first thing and they're like, fuck, I need to change that habit, but I need help. Oh, yeah. And they got the white flag, help me, help me. What do you recommend? Like, is there specific foods that would be better to have first thing in the morning? I know protein is a really great thing to have within the first 90 mm-hmm. to two hours of the day, depending on how you start your day. What would you recommend for those people? Yeah, for sure. Like trying to wake up and have protein and like a fat will be really important. If they really can't, like I said, adding like a milk or like, like this would be like, add like adding half and half to your thing. Like your cup would be better than just nothing. But really comparing it with like a protein or, yeah, like I said, a fat. Like I, I think I talked about the collagen before and the coffee. Not my favorite. People really think that's a meal. It's it's not. I'm sorry. You're talking about having <laughs> but, it at, on a separate thing. So we're not talking about in the one cup. We're talking about like a plate in a cup or maybe two cups. Yes. We're talking about like different things, not combined. It's not putting it all in a smoothie and thinking you're getting everything. It's, is that That's what you mean, right? Trying to break it up. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think people are like, okay, well, instead of my coffee before my breakfast, I'll just make it my breakfast. Like, let me add a bunch of stuff. Like, okay. Like a bulletproof coffee. I don't know if you guys have. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, Yep. Yep. This has been a a down under thing too. (laughs) Yeah. So bulletproof coffee, you know, like it has the fat in it. So it's like I said, better than it's better than just straight black coffee. But I just, I just would emphasize to eat a meal and people who really struggle with that. I usually just say like, kind of make yourself do it for like a week and eventually you'll, you'll be hungry before you want your coffee. It's just mm-hmm. like anything, creating a habit, 
And you just kind of have to put yourself in that mindset for a little bit. And, you know, everyone's really different. So sometimes I come up with different ideas for different people. Sometimes I'll be like, just pre-make your breakfast so you can just heat it up if you're not someone who wants to cook. If you do like to cook, have fun with it and like create a fun meal in the morning. If you have a partner that you live with, like have you, have your partner holds you accountable. I literally like, like just so everyone knows, like everyone makes mistakes, right? Like I woke up on vacation and I was like, oh, coffee sitting by the waves, like the beach, like sounds so nice right now. And I did it. And my sister walked out and was like, that's like, are you not supposed to do that? And I'm like, yeah, don't tell anyone. (laughs) And just her holding me accountable in that moment though, I have not done it since. And it's been like eight months or something. So like have someone hold you accountable. Be like, if I do this, just say it to me because I, I guarantee like when we're held accountable, it's a lot harder to like, it's a lot harder to fail than when you're just kind of holding yourself accountable. Totally. I love that. Love a good sister like that. But it's also okay. I think it's, I love the vulnerability in that share because people think, oh, well, you must be perfect. You must do it like this all the time. Right. But like, don't get me wrong. I've made my fair share a whole block of chocolate in my life, you know, (laughs) and be like, shit, did I just do that? And I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that they're the sometimes things, you know, like Dr. B is not starting her day every morning by the beach with a coffee first thing as much as you'd like to be by the beach every morning, I'm sure, being from Arizona. But, you know, it's important to recognize that there is no such thing as perfection. And I think if you're batting at, what is it? There's a saying that like no one bats at a hundred, no one bats at a hundred. And so I think that when we recognize that is that as long as we're doing our 90 or 80 or whatever, whatever you hold yourself accountable to and have people help you do that, it's really supportive. And I love your tips. I hear it from people all the time. Like for me, I practice yoga very early. So like this morning I was at yoga at 5.25 this morning and it was a real struggle for me to try to get something in my body apart from a glass of water before I went to yoga and then I was there for two hours. And then I came home and I was like, okay, now I'm really fucking hungry, right? Whereas it it can be challenging, but there's things you can do. So I pre-make bone broth and I just warm it up whilst I'm getting ready for yoga and I have half a cup of bone broth, you know, whereas you could just have pre-made banana bread and just have one slice. And you could also just make toast and put something on it or banana and a nut butter or make protein balls or eat cold pancakes or something. I don't know. Like there's so many ways you can make food before coffee doable if you prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm sure yes. you've experienced and then eventually, that too. Yeah. And then eventually becomes a habit. Yep. But it, it, I mean, like any habit, like getting the habit to move, like in the morning, you know, exercise or whatever, that can be hard. A habit that I just challenged myself to do, I think I started about six months ago now was, you know, putting my phone in the other room, talking about reducing cortisol levels. Like, I don't wake up to my phone ever now. It's not the first thing I do at all. I have to get out of bed before I even get to my phone. And by the time I get to my phone, yeah, I'm like, let me brush my teeth instead and wash my face. And it's been a game changer, but that was hard at first. Like not going to bed, being on my phone. I was like, wow, I did not think this would be as challenging as it was. I love that. (laughs) That's a really, really good change. And something that I found helpful with the phone too, is just putting on airplane mode. And just having it well, on there. airplane mode as much as possible. And then sometimes people are like, I've been trying to call you. And they message me on like Facebook and it pops up on my computer. I was like, what? I was like, oh, sorry. My phone's been on airplane mode. <laughs> so many great changes and having someone to help and support you is really important. If, especially if you feel alone and have someone help hold you accountable. It doesn't have to be a practitioner or a coach of some sort. It can even just be your best friend, you know, or someone that you practice something with. So This has been so good, Dr. B. Thank you for sharing all the insights about caffeine and hormones and the ripple effect and all the things that we can do to make changes. How can all of our listeners connect with you and find you and learn more about what you do? I love it. So I post a lot about fertility, but I do work a lot with hormone health. Just want to say that, but you can probably the easiest way to find me is through Instagram. My business and my practice is called Walk the Natural Path. That is literally my Instagram name my TikTok name, my Pinterest name. You can basically find me across the board on any social media from Walk the Natural Path. And then my link in bio will have pretty much all the information to booking consultations, to my eBooks, my courses, all of that. All of the um, goods. Yeah. All of the goods are going to be right there. Instagram makes everything so easy now. (laughs) 
It does, doesn't it? It really does. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to include all of those notes in the show link so people can easily find access to you. So please make sure you reach out to Dr. B and let her know if you enjoyed this conversation. I have a final question for you. Right Switching for it. gears, it's a little bit like our first question, very different. I want you to think back, Dr. B, to your first menstruation. So your menarch, your first period. What are three things that you now know today that you wish you had have known then in your life? That's a good question. I have to like, I haven't thought about my first period in a long time. I think one, that you do not have to use a tampon. I don't know where I got the idea in my head, but like, I like forced myself to learn that on like day one. And I don't know why I decided to take that challenge on. (laughs) So maybe there wasn't as many options as there are now, but that is something I'd honestly wish I knew at at that moment in time that, you know, it's okay that you, your emotions change. I was in a very emotional, I'm a very emotional person and I was definitely a very emotional child. And I think that, you know, I didn't understand why sometimes I felt like the world was ending and other times I felt like amazing. And that might be just part of like teenage years, but I think Mm -hmm. that really understanding like the cycle and the waves kind of like we were talking about in the beginning today that would have helped me a lot, I think, in understanding myself and my body. And then also knowing that, and I feel like a lot of people actually don't tell like younger people this who are just getting their periods, is that it might not be regular at first. So I think a lot of people emphasize, and I don't know why, that like your cycle should be regular the moment you get it. And I'm like, what? If you actually look into it, that one doesn't make any sense because your body is just really learning how it should operate and with the hormones because you haven't really had these before in this way. So it's okay if it's not regular right away. And I remember telling like my practitioners, like when I was younger, this, and they like freaked me out and they're like, this is wrong. And they wanted to put me on birth control at like a super young age. And I was lucky because like I said, I grew up in a really natural holistic home. So my mom definitely like fought to like learn more, like bless her. But I think that would be important to tell, honestly, any child or mom or dad or whoever's, you know, watching their kiddo that it's okay if it's not completely regular and like cycles will eventually balance out on themselves and don't rush it. With the caveat, sorry, I have to say, if it's super, super painful and there's like tons of like bleeding through or something, definitely please go get help. But like overall, like the cycle might last actually like two weeks sometimes and then disappear for a little bit and that's okay. I want to just, these are great little add-ons, these three things. So thank you for sharing. I just want to add on to what you mentioned because I work a lot in schools and teaching teenagers and people don't realize for the first like two to three years, your cycle can be irregular and it's normal, normal for it to be up to 45 days long. And it's normal for you to have a little bit more bleeding and it's normal, like we're going on a bit of a tangent. So hopefully you don't mind with a bit of time, but you know how earlier you mentioned about the hormones, right? So you've got like hypothalamus and then you've got the pituitary and how they connect and then they, you know, connect to the ovaries and you have FSH and all of like all the things. And if you don't ovulate, then you don't have progesterone because you don't have a corpus luteum and yada, yada, yada. That's a lot of work. Like that's like asking yourself to, you can see the beach through the dunes, be like, how the fuck do I get there? So like the first time <laughs> it's going to be rogue. It's going to be, it's going to be rogue. It's going to be wild. You're going to be like slashing through the long grass. But the more you revisit that same pathway, the more defined it's going to become. And I think for all young people and like praise your mum, is that, and this is changing, which is great, but a lot of general practitioners and medical doctors who are generally practicing they're not fully informed in this particular area. And so they're trying to put the cookie cutter approach to adult women to this young teenage, you know, anywhere from seven today, which is very unfortunate, right through to 14, 15, maybe 16. That's a big window like of, of time. And in that nine year period, as you begin to menstruate, like it's going to, it's natural that it's irregular. Your body's trying to find its feet. And I think, we can all support young menstruators so much better than that. That was a bit of a rant, but your share was amazing. So thank you. No, I love it. And you literally just made my heart burst of happiness. Like that just made me so happy that you're in school is teaching that. Like 
if I could just scream that from the rooftop so people could understand this, because I think it would eliminate so many problems down the line that like so many girls and women have, like I'm literally getting emotional actually right now, because I think it's something that's so important and it's just so overlooked. And the fact that like people expect like your cycle to come and then it be regular just like blows my mind. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. And I feel like that makes that, like I said, literally my heart is so happy right now. <laughs> you are welcome and worth it. Thank you for sharing. You can take that analogy and use it yourself now. Dr. B, this has been amazing. I love chatting with you. So thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing all of your beautiful wisdom with the world. I can't wait for everyone to hear our conversation and also connect them with you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.